From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday afternoon, Cuban, Cuba protests continue over the weekend here in the U.S. as leaders in Cuba tried to portray support for the struggling communist regime with a rally in Havana. Despite the human rights abuses, the Biden administration said very little. They've said very little about the rare, massive protest against the communist regime. Why? We'll talk about it with Congressman Michael Waltz of Florida. Also, reports suggest that the situation in Afghanistan is rapidly disintegrating as the U.S. military completes its withdrawal from the war-torn country after two decades. Will this withdrawal make America more or less secure? We'll talk about it here on today's edition of Washington Watch. And speaking of the situation in Cuba, I've got numerous reports of the targeting of pastors and priests and other religious leaders. We're going to get a rare inside report on what is actually happening in Cuba when we're joined by the director of a Christian seminary in Cuba a little later here on Washington Watch. And the Louisiana legislature is doing something that it has not done in nearly a half a century. They're bringing themselves into a special session of the legislature to consider overriding Governor John Bell Edwards' veto of at least two bills, a measure protecting girls' sports from biological males and a bill that would allow law-abiding citizens to carry a gun concealed. Now, also big news out of Arizona at the end of last week, the audit of the falls election results in Maricopa County, the state's largest county, revealed significant discrepancies that could have altered the outcome of the election. Other states are watching the outcome of the audit and could launch their own election inquiries. Jay Christian Adams is here with why this matters and what states could be next in terms of audits. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it's at Tony underscore Perkins. By the way, I would encourage you to uh, download our app. It's the Stand Firm app. That way you can listen to Washington Watch no matter where you might be in the world. But also it gives alerts both at the federal and the state level so you can take action on important issues. We put uh, put that right into your hands, tell you who to contact, what to talk to them about, so that you can be a participant in preserving our freedoms. Again, you can download the Stand Firm app, go to the App Store, and download the app. All right, over the past week, thousands of people had taken to the streets of Cuba, uh, joining one of the country's largest demonstrations in decades to protest the failings of the communist government. Though government critics face harsh punishment for dissent in Cuba, waves of demonstrations have surged in cities across the country, and they've been finding support here in the United States as well, where demonstrations have been popping up. Now, last week, uh, Congressman Mario Diaz Ballard introduced a resolution calling for international solidarity with the Cuban people in their quest for freedom. The resolution also condemns the brutal oppression of the communist dictatorship in Cuba. Joining me now to talk about all of this and more is Congressman Michael Waltz. He's a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and is one of the original co-sponsors of the resolution introduced last week. He represents the 6th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you, Tony. All right. How uh, significant uh, you represent Florida, large Cuban population there. How significant is the protest or the protests that are taking place there in Cuba? Yeah, I think it's important that people understand that this is the most significant level of protest we've seen against the Cuban regime, uh, I believe, in, in its history. Uh, since the Castro, uh, you know, led revolution overthrew uh, the previous government led by Batista, uh, we've seen mass migrations, people voting with their feet uh, and trying to come to the United States for the freedoms that we enjoy here. But I don't think we've ever seen people take such a stand at such risk. I mean, you know, folks need to understand just how great we have it here in this country, uh, where we can peacefully protest, where our voice can be heard. But somewhere like Cuba, you are risking torture, uh, you're risking death, 
uh, and not just you for taking a stand, your entire family uh, also being imprisoned and at best thrown into abject poverty. So it is quite brave uh, and commendable, uh, but it also speaks to a level of desperation that these people are, are, are truly facing right now. I've gotten reports over the last week of religious leaders being targeted by the regime. In fact, a little bit later in the program, we're going to be talking with a religious leader, head of a seminary in Cuba, is going to be joining us to give us a firsthand account of what is occurring there. So, yeah. Congressman, you you were one of the original co-sponsors to this resolution calling for solidarity. Why is it important that we stand with the people of Cuba that want freedom right now? Well, they need to hear that uh, that America has their back. Uh, and whether it is uh, the green movement that took a stand against the Iranian regime uh, or Hong Kongers taking a stand, waving American flags, reading the Declaration of Independence against the Chinese Communist Party, uh, they need to hear that uh, Americans have their back. We stand with them. Uh, and in the case, unfortunately, of the current administration, the Biden administration, that's been so relatively quiet on the issue, uh, that there is going to be pressure, bottoms up pressure from the American people to stand with the Cuban people uh, as they make this, uh, you know, brave uh, and incredible protest against authoritarianism that is communism and that is socialism. Uh, Congressman Walsh, you mentioned the Biden administration has been relatively silent about this. And and of all places, I think I found out why I found it on CNN over the weekend inside politics. I want want you to listen to this clip. The progressive wing of, of the Democratic Party does not want to go hard uh, against Cuba, against um, some of the things that uh, the Castro regime may have been a part of, in part because there are some Democrats, there are some progressives who, who uh, agree with some of those things. This would affect the progressive wing of the uh, the radical left wing of the Democratic Party uh, because they actually support the policies of communist yep. Cuba. Well, that's right. And you're seeing uh, the progressives' true colors uh, come out where they've tried to hide a lot of their uh, big policy leaps under the guise of COVID, uh, under the umbrella of equity and equality. Really what this is, this is about socialism, Marxism, and a march towards communism. Uh, you're, you saw it just today from uh, the founder of the 1619 Project, uh, who said, you know, the United States was really founded on a basis of maintaining slavery rather than achieving freedom uh, from uh, the British Empire. Uh, and she said, look, uh, blacks and whites have never been more equal uh, than they are in Cuba and uh, you're not going to want to, you know, hear me say this, but it's because of the goodness of socialism. Those were her words. Uh, we're seeing, hearing that from uh, where, and, and you're right. They are equal in Cuba. Uh, they're equal in their misery. Uh, you right. know, the, the, <laughs> the Cuban government is often held up for its achievements in medicine. Well, you know, I think the only equality there is that you can't get any. Uh, and they can't get any health care. And when you see these people waving American flags and quoting from the Constitution in ways that a lot of Americans can't even do, uh, it really speaks to just how great we have it in this exceptional nation. That, of course, is not perfect. Uh, you know, we are all sinners in this nation. Uh, it is not perfect, but we're all marching uh to, to always be better and towards a more perf perfect union. But you're seeing the progressives' true colors come out. We see it every day in a Pelosi-run Congress where the where the left uh, really is the tail wagging the dog, and Biden has turned out to be, as predicted, a, a Trojan horse for the progressives. But, man, and their praise for the Cuban regime uh, and their praise for socialism and then condemnation that it's America's fault, uh, as though socialism being cut off from capitalism is what makes socialism a problem. Uh, it, it's all coming out, and uh, we, a lot of us can't say we didn't tell you so. Well, I certainly hope the American people are listening to this because, according to them, uh, equality is abject poverty. That, that's essentially what they want because everybody's equal in Cuba. They have nothing uh, in their desk. Well, because you're taking from one class of people, uh, in the case of BLM and others, one class of people based on their skin color and giving it to the others. 
right? So when you constantly, it's a zero sum game, you're going to drive everything to zero. Uh, and right, that's right. exactly what You can only do that for so long. Communism does. You can that? only do that for so long. You can only do that's that for right. so long and in socialism because eventually right. there's nothing that's else to take from anybody. Worked. Yeah, that's why it's never worked anywhere around the world. Uh, but look, the word, four letter word free. Uh, is really appealing to a lot of people. Uh, it's an easy talking point and selling point, and it's a very easy way, an effective way to keep your grip on power. Uh, and that's what, at the end of the day, communism is all about. It puts power in the hand of government and bureaucrats rather than the people, and that's why it's antithetical to everything I stand for and we stand for. Uh, Congressman Walter, I, I want to get to the issue of Afghanistan as a the only Green Beret serving in our nation's Congress. But I, but I want to just make this point about your call for solidarity. I, I look back to the Arab Spring. I look back to what happened in Hong Kong last year. And just if our government doesn't touch it, but the American people give oxygen to what is happening in Cuba by saying we support what you're doing. We're with you. I mean, right. only 90 miles off the coast there. Uh, I think we can help them just by giving attention to this and why we're talking about it uh, even today. So I think you're absolutely spot on. I want to I want to shift to Afghanistan as uh, the United States pulls their military out. We're already seeing uh, the, the disintegration there. General Petraeus, not necessarily a big fan of his, uh, but he was on CNN over the weekend. And uh, this is what he had to say. Play clip three, please. I fear uh, that we will look back and regret the decision to withdraw. Uh, and I think, sadly, we may regret that sooner than I had originally thought when I said that right after the decision was announced. Beyond that, I think we'll also look back and, and regret the, the hasty way in which we seem to be doing this. Do you agree with his uh, analysis? I do, sadly and unfortunately. Uh, what, you know, look, I understand uh, been there a long time, hard, expensive, difficult. Where does it all end? I understand all of those arguments. But I ask uh, everyone you know, that's making those arguments, until terrorism goes away, uh, until Islamic extremism no longer intends to attack the United States, uh, which our intelligence community, Biden's own intelligence community, is very clear that al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, and half the world's terrorist groups that exist there still do, uh, are they going to be better off with a Taliban-run government or the Afghan-run government? And if they still intend to attack us, do we want to fight them over there or back here after they've hit us again in the United States? I want to do it over there. And no one is calling for hundreds of thousands of U.S. troops. We had 2,500 troops there. Tony, we have more military in Italy and Spain than we had in Afghanistan, keeping a lid on terrorism and manning a critical base that is sandwiched between China, Russia, and Iran that we may need one day. Uh, and so my biggest fear is the future soldiers, the next generation that have to go back in there, right. just like we did in 9-11, with no bases and local allies that have been massacred. And that's what Petraeus is talking about, and I, that just right. breaks my heart. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's why we've been in Europe since World War II. We've kept uh, troops there uh, to, uh, to to keep everything in check. It, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I'm afraid we're going to have to be back there sooner than later. Either we fight them here or we uh, fight them there. Congressman Michael Waltz, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. See you soon. All right. All right, folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, we go to Cuba to get a firsthand report. Don't go away. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. 
That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right, as I talked about in the last segment, there's been a surge of protests that have erupted all across Cuba, and that's a big deal in a country where such public demonstrations are rare and where government critics face harsh demonstrations for dissent. Now, there have been reports that I have received from multiple sources about religious leaders uh, being targeted, arrested, beaten, uh, and the reports are not unsubstantiated. Joining me now to talk about what is going on inside Cuba is Hatniel Perez, director of the William Carey Biblical Seminary in Velasco, Cuba, and he is the president of Growing Bible Center. Uh, two pastors that were uh, tutored at the seminary were arrested last week and remain detained. Pastor Perez, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a big pleasure for me to be here with you. First, uh, Pastor Perez, can you tell us what the current situation is like there in Cuba? Well, right now, everything is, uh, you know, after many protests in all the country, uh, everybody's just waiting to see what is going on with all the persons that have been in prison right now. Uh, many of them are disappeared yet, and we don't know right now where they are. So that's uh, right now, that's the situation for many of the Cubans who have been protesting, and they don't have liberty of, the, of speech. So that's what is going on right now in our island. Now, why are pastors and priests and other religious leaders being targeted? Well, the problem is that, um, as you know, pastors are always with the people everywhere. We are representing all our churches, and we always represent people everywhere. So um, these pastors in Matanzas, Jeremy Blanco and Jarian Sierra, they were just um, living near the street where all the protests were, and they decide just to join them because um, all the situation that have been going on in Cuba, it has been more than one year that we have been without many uh, many supplies and many things. Jeremy and his wife were with COVID, 
and they didn't have any medicine with them. Adele is with Jeremy's wife. She has diabetic, and they didn't have even the test for knowing the level of, of sugar on her. So part of everything going on is that people are tired of having lack of many things, lack of food, lack of medicine, lack of uh, everything. So people are just getting tired, and that's why they just went and protest. And, you know, they just were there because they are uh, regular citizens and uh, like many others who just walk on the street and have needs. So, Pastor Perez, what is the situation currently with those two pastors that uh, were trained there at your seminary? Do you know their whereabouts and their condition? Well, we we don't know a specific where they are. Uh, they we just only received reports from the government that they are they were first in a in a prison uh, of the uh, in a women prison, and then last night at one thirty in the morning. The people from the police just called the wives to tell them that they were sent to the regular prison for everybody. So now they have a, a case number and now they have charges and everything. Uh, but it was not able for anybody, even for the wives, to see them at any place. So now we're trying to work with lawyers and everybody to see if they can if they can see them. So for the moment, we don't know where they are. For the moment, we don't we don't know what is their status or anything. We just know that they have a a number of uh, of case and they have charges just only that so pastor Perez, is your sense there that the people of cuba are going to have a sustained voice of uh, a crying out asking for relief and asking for the freedom to speak the freedom to to do what so many uh, yearn to do yes i know uh, i know that many people are going to continue with this because the the people of Cuba are suffering a lot, and we have many we have a lot of needs and and our purpose is just to to have something something in Cuba that we can work and we can get whatever our needs can be. And the problem is that we we cannot work, we cannot do anything, and with uh, the salaries that they are paying to the Cuban people do not last more than eight or ten days. So it's a really complicated situation where the Cuban people, they, they just want, uh, you know, freedom. They just want to, to have everything possible for them to live and for them to, to receive everything that they need. So that's why I, I know and that they are going to continue with that. So, Pastor Perez, you're speaking to uh, Christians all across America. What would you say to them? What can brother, your brothers and sisters here in the United States be doing to be helpful? Well, number one, pray for, pray for us. Uh, pray for the people in Cuba. Pray for the pastors in Cuba because everybody uh, has fear of what the government can do to them. So the government is closing churches. The government is taking away house churches. The government is um, restricting right now the salaries of the pastors. So pastors just quit of being pastors and just only go to do something else. Pastors in Cuba, they cannot uh, be pastors and work in something else. So I want you to be praying for the pastors. That's the first target that the government has. And the second is pray for love. Uh, among the people and try the people to to get uh, defending one to the others. So that's like the biggest uh, need that we have right now. And for us to get uh, to preach the gospel all over Cuba, that that can change lives too. So that's those are the first things that I would like to to ask for prayers. You know that reminds me of. Uh... Of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, when he asked uh, that prayers be made for him, that he would speak boldly uh, the gospel as he ought to speak. And uh, we will certainly be doing that, Pastor Perez. Thank you so much for your courage, your boldness, and thank you for joining us today on Washington Watch. Thank you. It is my privilege. Uh, Pastor Perez there in uh, Cuba. Folks, you heard his request. We need to be praying praying for the people of, uh, of Cuba, praying for the pastors, uh, praying for their boldness at this time of great need that many may come to know 
the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And in the meantime, we can also be helping to meet those physical needs. We need to be pressing our government to uh, to do the right thing and to speak out on behalf of freedom, regardless of what the progressive wing of the president's party uh, wants to do. It's a significant time. And uh, this is our neighbor next door there in Cuba. All right, coming up next, the Louisiana legislature will hold a veto override session for the first time since the state's new constitution adopted in 1974. We talk about it next with Senator Beth Mizell. Don't go away. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. Hope you had a great weekend. Mine was uh, wet and quiet, a lot of rain, but uh, nice. All right, the Louisiana legislature will hold a veto override session for the first time since the state's new constitution. New, it was adopted in 1974, uh, but it never happened during my time in the legislature because Louisiana actually has a very strong chief executive, controls a lot. So the legislature, pretty much controlled by the governor, but not so much now. You have uh, Republicans control both chambers of the House. And John Bell Edwards, the governor, vetoed uh, a number of bills from the 2021 regular session. At least two are reportedly definitely in the called special override session. One of those is the Fairness in Women's Sports Act at Senate Bill 156. We've talked about it on the program a number of times. This prohibits high school athletes from competing on teams that differ from a student's biological sex. This means if you're a boy, you're in boy sports. If you're a girl, you're in girl sports. I know that's radical, uh, but that's what the bill does. And the governor vetoed it, saying it was unfair to transgender students. Well, Joining me now is the author of the bill, Louisiana State Senator Beth Mizell. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hi. Hi, Tony. It's good to see you again. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, we've covered some territory since we were last together. We were questioning whether or not there would be a override session. There is now an override session. Starts tomorrow at noon. Uh, what do you think may be the outcome here? Um, I'm cautiously optimistic that we have the votes, uh, especially in the Senate. Uh, I'm told today that uh, there's some confidence also in the House that they're going to be able to uh, get it done on their side. But but the first hurdle is to get it through the Senate tomorrow. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that that's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm getting really good feedback 
the public has been incredibly engaged in this and uh, with our faith-based community and the public uh, activated, uh, we've created a, a whole new conversation uh, at, at, at the Capitol, I believe. Well, you did a, a great job shepherding this bill through the regular session. It uh, received 27 Governor, you have to have 26 votes. Uh, the House, it had 73 votes in the uh, the regular session. It's going to require 68. Uh, I think it's, uh, well, let me see. No, I had the wrong numbers there. Um, it's going to require uh, a two-thirds vote in each chamber. You've got right. a majority of Republicans in the, uh, in the Senate, in the House. Um, I mean, you have enough to do the override in the Senate. In the House, you're like two votes short on the Republican side. So you're going to have to have yeah. bipartisan support in the House. As Republicans have 68 uh, votes in the House. Uh, what do people need to be doing right now who live in the state of Louisiana to help get this across the line? I think uh, we we need to continue the uh, outreach to all the legislators, even those who've uh, given us absolute confidence that they're going to support the bill. I think it's helpful that their support is appreciated. So uh, I, I wouldn't back off even the, the strong uh, supporters because uh, just to pat them on the back and let them know that we, we're where you doing something that uh, may be uh, a little uh, more courageous than we're used to, uh, it's an important thing. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that we've got uh, the Democrat support on the House side, especially because uh, when you voted yes in, in May, there's no nothing's changed to, to make you vote no now. So I'm hoping the commitment is still there. Well, the only thing is if the governor's twisted your arm or uh, said right, he's going to withhold right. something from your district, then uh, then maybe there's something changed. But in terms of the substance of the bill and the issue before them, no, it's not changed. So I think that's mm -hmm. the, the challenge that some of these legislators may have if they change their vote. They're going to have to explain why they changed right. their vote. Right, right. And, and, and therein lies uh, the real difficulty, I think, to have to go home and explain why the identical bill that you voted yes for and uh, passed with bipartisan support suddenly uh, doesn't have your support. And there's no other answer but just raw politics. And uh, frankly, in a bill of, of this nature where it's a very, uh, very much a conscience-based bill, uh, raw politics is not going to suffice as an answer to change your vote. Now, one of the other bills, Senator Mizell, we know is going to be uh, in the call is that of the uh, concealed carry, a constitutional carry for uh, all law-abiding mm -hmm. citizens. Uh, what do you think the support uh, is for that one in the legislature? Uh, I'm not really, I haven't ticked it. I don't know what the numbers are. Based on my emails, there's a tremendous amount of support from the public on that. Uh, uh, I, I know there's some uh, questions uh, about parts of the bill. Uh, it, I'm, I'm curious uh, when that bill comes up how the author is going to approach it because it also yeah. has strong support. Some, right, some of right. the bills, frankly, that were vetoed were unanimously passed. Right, right. So, well, I uh, think uh, I, I think there. It'll be interesting to watch um, because I do think there's. That combined with this bill is what got us to this uh, override session. Right. Um, but clearly, we want to see this bill pass. We're going to be tracking it very closely, and we'll check in with you uh, again. Senator Mizell, thanks for joining us, and once again, thanks for your leadership. Thank you. Take care. appreciate the time, Tony. All right. Uh, Senator Beth Mizell of Louisiana it begins tomorrow at noon. So if you live in Louisiana, reach out and speak to your House member and your Senate member. Need 70 votes in the House and 26 in the Senate to pass. All right, don't go away. We're going to check in with what's happening in Arizona next. Jay Christian joins us next. Don't go away. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. 
At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marshall Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. This is Washington Watch, and I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Download the Stand Firm app. That way, you will be alerted when there are issues happening in your state, on the national level. You know, our republic, as I've said before, was made for participants, not spectators. You need to be involved. Download the Stand Firm app so you'll know when and what to do. All right, on Thursday, the Arizona State Senate held a hearing on the results of the audit of the 2020 election ballots in Maricopa County. Now, the Arizona Senate president, Karen Fan said the legislature needs more material and data from the county uh, for there to be a final report, because this raised a lot of questions. In fact, here's a clip of what she had to say. Clip number four, please. Once again, I just want to state that, uh, that at no time have we ever uh, implied or inferred that there was any intentional misdoings here in any way whatsoever and in fact we certainly hope not and but we do need to have this information and answer these questions so that we can make sure that uh, the voters of Arizona um, have solid answers as to how our election systems works the check and balances to know that they have a safe and secure ballot when it comes in um, so we will be asking for this inf- additional information So what did the audit uncover that it now has the Senate asking for additional information? Here to talk about it is Jay Christian Adams, president and general counsel of Public Interest Legal Foundation, uh, which is dedicated to election integrity. Christian, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what was discovered during this audit that now has called for basically going door to door to get additional information to verify some of this. 
Well, look, elections are always messy. They're never perfect. And I think what they found in Arizona, that's the case, that you can't always have a perfectly clean, I should, when I say clean, I mean without incident, without glitches, election. And Arizona was no different. And there's no doubt that there were, there were some administrative problems. Ballots might not have gotten processed as quickly and cleanly as we would have liked. Uh, there certainly isn't some sort of evidence they found that shows, like, you know, votes were being flipped to the degree that the president uh, uh, lost. Uh, but here's the important thing to remember. One of the things that these audits bring us is more information. They bring us details about how to make elections better and with fewer glitches. I mean, according to reports, you see that um, 8,000 voters who voted in November were removed from the voter rolls after the election, meaning apparently they were no longer area were not uh, qualified to vote. Uh, 4,000 Maricopa County voters in the presidential election registered after a court-ordered deadline of October the 15th. And then what I find most significant uh, was in pertain- it pertained to the mail-in ballots that 74,243 of these mail-in ballots says there was no clear record of them actually being sent. So more more mail-in ballots came in than were sent out. I mean, that certainly would raise some questions. Well, look, all of these are complicated election administration issues. For one, you could go in and get your mail-in ballot sometimes. So just because something wasn't mailed out doesn't mean that it wasn't actually properly delivered. On the removal after the election, on the removal after the election, somebody who died around Thanksgiving or December or January is going to be removed from the voter rolls, even though they voted in November. So that doesn't surprise me either. These are things... When you're in election administration, they happen all the time. And that's one of the pitfalls of the last, you know, couple of months is separating fact from fiction, wheat from the chaff, uh, um, hype versus real. And, you know, each of these situations have to be looked at carefully. As a general rule, Tony, under the federal law, the motor voter law, if you vote in November, you can't be removed. It's like it's like a block against you ever being removed from the voter rolls if you vote at least for the at least two federal cycles. So these are interesting questions, and I, I think the audit helps us get to the bottom of understanding what we can do to make things better next time. There's always value from carefully looking at what happened in an election. But why the opposition to looking at this? Right, because uh, here's why. Because the Democrats, the, the folks who uh, supported Joe Biden, the mainstream media, they don't want you to know about the problems associated with any election that they won. It's only the elections they lose that they want to audit and pay careful attention to. And so this is just a little bit of uh, inconsistency. It's like hate has no home here until there's lots of hate. Uh, and so we're used to this from this crowd. And I think that this is a situation where uh, they don't want us to look at the glitches and mistakes that were made because they want everyone to think everything was perfect. So this is a this is the largest county in Arizona. It's one of the largest counties in the in the country. About four million voters uh, right. that live in that uh, that county. Uh, with, with what you see thus far from the preliminary audit results, are, are you concerned that there may have been something going on here? Well, I don't think it's organized. That's one of the important things for folks to understand is the system has so many gaps and 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 seams that you don't have master command. You know, Dr. Evil is not in the bunker organizing mm-hmm. this stuff. It's usually uh, an organic process where, uh, you know, stuff gets messed up without somebody actually doing it. And, you know, machines break down. And we had a lawsuit, Tony, in Maricopa County where we represented people whose votes didn't count when they put the, the, the thing in the scanner and they couldn't pop it out to have it redone. And so there's no question about it that things went wrong in Maricopa County. It, by the way, is one of the worst-run election offices in the entire country, I can tell you. The Maricopa County for years has been slackers and, uh, and dragging their feet on fixing things. So it doesn't surprise me that things had breakdowns. I, I want to emphasize most election vulnerabilities and breakdowns are not part of a plot. They're, right. they're just what right. happens, and it's important to understand that. Right. I, I, and I agree 
with that. And that's where I think that what I, I think the election, there were enough election irregularities in this last election that raise my level of, well, lower my level of confidence, I should say, in the outcome of the election. All right. And I've read some of your stuff that you've in some of the lawsuits and other things you've been involved in. I I tend to believe that there are some I, and I agree with you. I think there's so many different parts of these elections. Uh, you know, I've been involved in them for, for a number of years. There's some probably inherent weaknesses in these systems. But I I still think that there may have been uh, those that took advantage of some of the weak points uh, in this election cycle. Right. And that's called Philadelphia. Uh, That's exactly what happened in Philadelphia, where you had uh, essentially one party rule because the Republican on the Philadelphia Election Commission is not really a Republican. His name's Al Schmidt, and he should should be thrown off. President Trump even went after him. Uh, And so what you had there is one party rule where a 97 percent Democrat county, namely Philadelphia, is abandoning all the procedures. They're having uh, counting ballots with no one being allowed to watch using uh, dishonest characterizations of the the facility. They were calling them, well, these are just counting centers. They're not voting centers. Meanwhile, Tony, there's thousands of people voting in the so-called not voting center. And so one thing after another, we could fill a show. And there, I think, there, I think, that it's a different story where you do have people who have uh, dark hearts and are trying to manipulate the system deliberately. So it all depends on where you're talking about. And I I tell you, Philadelphia is a bad place for this. Now, that that would not be described as voter fraud because voters did not fraudulently file or vote. But it would the system was manipulated I mean, the same thing, we have Mark Zuckerberg putting all this money uh, into these ballot uh, boxes and uh, giving money. Well, Philadelphia is a good example of where they gave money. I think they gave about $8 million to put people on the streets to go knocking on doors to hand out ballots and then take them back. That's, I mean, that's ballot harvesting. Great example, Tony. It's actually $10 million they gave Philadelphia, which more than doubled their budget. Their original budget was nine and a half, and they went up with radio ads on Spanish-language radio stations to get out the vote. Now, do you think those are getting out Trump votes? <laughs> of course not. That's how they play. That's not voter fraud. And what I'm trying to emphasize is the manipulation right. in Philadelphia requires us to check and examine our terminology and get more sophisticated because the left got more sophisticated in 2020. And we have to do the same thing and not just fall into the standard, you know, uh, language. You are absolutely right. And I think that's why the media gave them an excuse, not that they really needed one, to be dismissive of the concerns of conservatives. Even, you know, I support, I think Bill Barr was right. I don't think, you know, when he said there was not enough uh, voter fraud to uh, change the outcome of the election, I think he was right. He wasn't talking about the irregularities that you and I are talking about. He was talking about voter fraud. And so words, you know, at least to some of us, words still have meaning. Uh, and, and it's important uh, so I think what you're doing in terms of educating, uh, you know, voters and then tracking, following what's happening in Arizona and hopefully, uh, and this is my next question for you, Christian, with what's happening in Arizona and uncovering these weaknesses, do you think this will lead to other jurisdictions doing similar audits, evaluations? Well, I hope so. And and look at what happened in New Hampshire. In New Hampshire, they did an audit and evaluation uh, where they found 300 votes that went the wrong way. And somebody might say, well, that's not enough to give Trump the victory in New Hampshire. But it was almost enough to give Bush the victory in Florida in 2000. So 300 votes matter. And it could be 200 votes the next time that decides the president of the United States. That's why we have to be vigilant. New Hampshire did an audit. They found problems. They're going to fix them. And that's what we ought to be looking at in places like Arizona. In Philadelphia, there's no audit. All there are snickering victors who are, are getting away scot-free with manipulating the system. But but you have a state legislature that is looking at some of this information. And so, you know, with Arizona taking these steps, you could have, uh, you know, Republican legislatures that are concerned about voting integrity. Other side, not so much so. 
uh, they could do, you know, hearings. They could do investigations. The, the important thing is that we not let this go, that we look at the weak points. We look at areas that were manipulated manipulated, maybe that's too strong, I don't think so in some cases, but certainly taken advantage of, so that we can restore the confidence of Americans in our system of elections. I agree, because when you lose confidence in the outcome, bad things start to happen. And it's not just theoretical stuff. It's, you know, people get at each other's throats when they no longer trust the system. Well, and or they quit voting. Uh, they, they just say, my vote doesn't matter. I've heard that so many times, and that's why I've actually pointed to your work and the work of others that said, no, no, by all means, we must not back up. We must not give up. We must demand that our state leaders follow through. I mean, I I think we've talked about it before. Uh, I was involved in a Senate race back in 96 in which there was voter fraud in my home state of Louisiana, and uh, we weren't able to adjudicate it to, to change the outcome but what we did do is we went back in the legislature the, the, the following two years. Uh, we did voter ID, photo ID for, uh, for voters. We eliminated the corrupt. And so we cleaned up our elections. And we've not had uh, any significant voter fraud or irregularities in uh, 25 years. Right. And Louisiana now has a great secretary of state who makes sure it stays that way. And, and look, that's a great example Shining light on an issue helps you improve the system, and that's what they're doing in Arizona. That's not what they're going to do in Pennsylvania. That's not what they're going to do uh, in other places in the country because the leadership isn't there because they're part of the problem. Nobody in Philadelphia, and certainly not Governor Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania, is going to lead the way to uncovering the problems in Pennsylvania. They're part of the problem. Uh, They're not part of the solution. Well, one of the other reasons they may not want to shine a light on the problem is because it took Louisiana from being a deep blue state to a red state, because when elections are fair and free, uh, people vote and they uh, vote for policies that reflect their values. Uh, And that's what's happened in Louisiana, where we went from one statewide uh, Republican to now only one statewide Democrat. And uh, the legislature controlled uh, both chambers by Republicans, which was not the case when I was elected uh, 25 years ago. So this is absolutely critical. And uh, Jake Christian Adams, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Jake Christian Adams, you can find out more about the work uh, that he is doing with the Public Interest Legal Foundation. This is important stuff. I'm so grateful that there are organizations that are sticking to this issue and uh, filing lawsuits. You heard they filed lawsuits different places. But we need to demand that legislatures, just like they're doing in Arizona, will follow through. I know they're taking a lot of heat, a lot of opposition, but they're sticking to it. This is important stuff, folks. So uh, encourage your state legislators not to release this. Do not release it. Do not let it go. Stick with it. All right, uh, great to have you with us today. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com, and by all means, as uh, Pastor Perez was saying, let's pray for the people of Cuba. They need our prayers. We need to be encouraging them and then encouraging our government to stand with them. These are people wanting freedom. They're simply wanting freedom. Why the Democratic Party not want to help them? Because it will show the failed policies of socialism. That's a shame. All right, folks, good to be with you. Check out the website, once again, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line 
at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 